Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When I was younger, I had this idea about what success was. And I had this idea, and it was perfection. It was being the best at everything. It was being adored. It was being the savior of every team I played in. It was being, I needed to be needed so much. I didn't have that in me to understand what, that it was just okay anyway. So I had to go and get it. But change comes along and points you to say, right, your definitions need changing. Welcome to the Unwind Podcast, a podcast for you to relax, drift off and allow your mind to wander. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author, entrepreneur and researcher on a mission to share information that will help you live happier, healthier and with more love, optimism and wisdom. This podcast features interviews with well-known guests and world-leading experts about what it truly means to be human and what we can do to become the very best versions of ourselves. On the Unwind podcast today, I am speaking to Johnny Wilkinson, who is a world-leading sportsman, author, thought leader, and podcast host. You may know him for securing England's Rugby World Cup glory in 2003. I remember that moment so well, with my two brothers screaming with delight and Johnny's name being shouted over and over again. I was 13 and Johnny was the hero. Through his stellar sporting career, Johnny inspired millions and millions of young men in particular, and he rightfully was awarded many accolades, including BBC Sports Personality of the Year, an MBE, an OBE, and the holder of the Rugby World Cup points record. Johnny was the walking poster child of success, but courageously since then, he has opened up about how the sparkling lights of those years were a facade in some ways, hiding troublesome mental health, and behind the scenes, he suffered from perfectionism. He's been on an inspirational road to recovery and dived into the depths of personal transformation, spirituality, and redefining his understanding of human potential and performance. Johnny has his very own podcast, I Am, which he uses to explore these concepts with world-leading thought leaders and shares his learnings so generously. I really enjoy listening to his reflections as they are deeply relatable and truly thought-provoking. What's a piece of writing you return to often and why? So every now and again, I'll come across certain phrases or or something which really just seems to encapsulate everything so much better than I could articulates everything so deeply. And so I caught one of those recently from a guy called Sadhguru, who is a, an enlightened yogi. And his, what he said is this, look clearly and deeply beyond all compulsions of your body and mind. What is it that you really want to do with life? Just do that. And I found this so powerful. The reason being is that so much of what you even just mentioned in the intro there, I was awarded all these accolades, but actually I don't think I really went anywhere. I didn't do anything new in order to 
lead any the world into a new space i kind of just spun the world quicker in the direction it's already going i was i was just after this self-importance this kind of i guess status respect or power recognition material whatever it may be i didn't really face anything that was worthy of those kind of awards and i think this is the most powerful thing is that so much of that was compulsive as i mentioned in this quote it was just compulsive i was awarded so much and given so much recognition for my dedication but it wasn't dedication i had no other choice it was not difficult for me to go and train for hours and hours and hours it was safe it was secure for me to do that what would have been difficult for me would have been sitting and just relaxing trusting to have compassion for my teammates to look at a bigger picture to respect my body deeply this would have been turning the world i think in a new direction and i think the most powerful thing coming from this quote for me is that i know that when i was young i had a passion for rugby and what i wanted to do was to kind of just express myself in that sport and other sports i just wanted to express myself that was beyond all the compulsions but the rest all the competing comparing myself against others all the perfectionism all the stress and the struggle that was all compulsive and yet that's the majority of what i did i didn't look beyond it i followed those compulsions and ultimately what they did was led me to a space yes after all those awards and accolades and everything i broke down physically I broke down mentally, emotionally, I broke down. And in a way, those awards were part of that journey towards breakdown. And yet, as you spoke about here, there's there's so many people who are facing these challenges and facing up to these enormous fears or the demons and and walking into vulnerability and the courage that takes. It's it's incredible. And yet there won't be awards for these people. There won't be the accolades for people who are genuinely taking in this collective fear and anxiety we have, this collective need or insufficiency we all feel or lack of who we are we all feel and are doing their work with it. Nobody's getting rewarded for that. We're rewarding people for going out there and doing anything they can to conquer Mm. and to beat others and to stand apart in comparison. Mm. But actually the most difficult thing is exactly what you're talking about. This is the most challenging thing and they don't have awards for this. They can't have awards for this. In a way, it's nice they don't because it it would completely undermine the whole process of why you go inwards and why you look into who you really are. If there was an award for that, it wouldn't be looking inwards. But this is the beauty of it is that a lot of the stuff that I was awarded for was just straight up, get up. It was routine. It was a pattern in my life that I followed. It wasn't the most fun part. The most fun part was just me being that child again beyond all the compulsions, finding that childlike passion and desire and the impulses to just follow that feeling. And yet I didn't do that. I pretty much fought against all that, got the awards, um, became someone special, and then sort of realized that there was nothing at the end of that journey. What was this moment or who has been someone in your life that has helped you to completely find this new perspective this idea of actually understanding where difficulty lies is where you probably never thought to look there's been so many people who have been inspiring and this for me and and i mentioned 
Sadhguru being one who I've met a few times and had conversations with, but more importantly, there's so many others that have such a powerful message, but their message and their wisdom to me is just information until I apply it, then it can become my wisdom. And I think that's the issue is you can go around just sucking up pieces of information from other people thinking that's your wisdom. So you then spout it like it's your wisdom. But the power of it is, is that you've got to do your own work. And that realization has been that no one can do your work for you. Mm. No one can give you wisdom. You have to reveal your own unique wisdom. And I think this is the age we have where we are, we have entertainment. We are, we are entertained even in this mental health space. Now we can be entertained. Even meditations are done for us, mm. but there is only to a point they can take you. And that point isn't really going to be anywhere new until you go. And I think the moment for me, perhaps I've had many crises moments in my life because of how I constructed myself against a huge fear from when I was growing up, an unbearable fear. I had to defend against that in my immature way. And as I did, I created a bit of a, just me. So I became just a mechanism of keeping this fear at bay. But then I forgot about the fear and I just suddenly felt, well, this is me. And then I lived my life that way. And every now and again, I'd come up against something that I could not beat with these values and morals and beliefs and ideals that I had. And I would be stuck and it would always be a a gray area where most people would say, oh, well, that's life. Just have to get on with it. Mm. I couldn't. I'd meet that and something in me would have to give. And because I couldn't afford to give what I was, because who I was was pretty much this dam against this flood of fear, I couldn't let any of that go. So I stood firm until it got near breaking point and something had to go. I had several of these and one of them came in a sporting space that most of these weren't actually in my sport, but this one was where I was, I'd been injured for four whole years. It's just crazy how my body broke down because of all this perfectionist stress. Mm. And, and I suddenly realized that, you know, I might never play again. And I thought, well, what if I look back now and was like, well, you, you won't play again then. So how was it? And I was so unsatisfied. I was so unfulfilled. I had everything. I'd achieved everything that any, other player would have ticked and said, I'll do anything to have what you have. And I had it and it meant nothing. It meant nothing. And I looked at it and thought, oh gosh, fast forward, hopefully many years. And this will be me moments from the end of my life, looking back, asking the same question. And I am compulsively spinning this wheel towards the end. And I already know from my experience that what I'm after is not it. And yet I'm still doing it. And I suddenly, I guess there was a degree of urgency about this need to change everything because the realization being that in the status, in the recognition, in the wealth, in the possessions, in the trophies, in all these things, there is nothing there. It doesn't mean that the joy of competing and challenging yourself is beautiful. But I remember sitting in changing rooms before games, even the last game I ever played. And if someone had come in and said, look, I can guarantee you this performance goes brilliantly. I can guarantee you you're perfect. I can guarantee you you get everything you want. Sign this contract. All it means is you have to sit this game out. You don't get to play. You don't actually get to experience it, but you can have everything and everyone will think you've done it. I'd have signed it every time. I'd have given up the experience of life to have the stuff from life. That's how I got stuck. 
and, and my realization was that this idea that I'm going to suddenly have something reach a place and it's all going to be worth it. It isn't true. That was my, my understanding that came to me was that all this suffering and sacrifice is not going to lead to joy. What was your first step in changing the direction? And also what was the first belief system that you had to unlearn to be able to shift this? I think what came initially was probably a hell of a lot of curiosity just immediately because of the revelation suddenly everything wasn't what it seems i didn't know what it was but i knew what it wasn't and that opened up this wealth of possibilities so i had an open mind to it now mm. and that included people so people walked into my life and they were no longer i suddenly realized that people were just it seems terrible but they were things for me to use to get to where i want to go i needed people to feel a certain way about me and think a certain way about me for me to feel good Mm. I had no interest in the person. I just wanted them to think a certain way. So I manipulated everyone. Mm. My values, my beliefs, my politeness. I'm, I'm going super harsh on myself to make a point, I guess. But I was caring and I and I, I did of my course. best and everything. Mm. But when you boil it down, it was the same question. If you could not experience this interaction, but at the end of it, they walk away thinking you're this and feeling this about you, would you sign that contract? But yeah, of course I would. I'm not interested in really connecting to them. And then you understand what this is getting at is that you're signing away the now to get to an, a now in the future. It isn't going to happen. And and so the curiosity kicked back with people that walked into my life. I was suddenly like, wow, what's it like to live in a moment? And it just means that what if there's nowhere to go from this? There's nothing to get from it. And then suddenly you're like, well, there's nowhere else for me to be but here. And then suddenly you start to realize there's so much behind every interaction, why you meet people, why things just occur in your life the way they do. You're so much more aware and observant. I think this was the opening of that curiosity and the beginning of the awareness for me. But the other part, I guess, in terms of the belief system that had to go was just that, the belief system that who I am is a result of what I'm going through. That was the big one that had to go. Because what I was starting to understand, I guess, from that was I had this idea that I was basically going to build who I am out of stuff. And what I was realizing now was that actually the whole thing belonged to me. My open-mindedness was defining my life and defining who I was. Stuff couldn't define me. But every time I faced a, a game, my last game, I used to talk about this, my last game defined me. And then the next one was going to define me. So where do you rest? Mm. when do you live for you when do you as with the quote when do you find out what it is you really want to do and do it anyway and do it whether people are listening or not you know would i still play rugby if there wasn't eighty thousand people watching when i answer yes to that question i know i'm in a good space like i said my idea was that who i am my qualities my value everything was defined by how things went by what other people thought and by how things turned out what I suddenly started to realize was my life was mine to define with that awareness, with that curiosity, with that desire to really find out more about me. I suddenly realized that nothing could touch me. I was defining my own life. I was ultimately on this exploration of who I am rather than this desire to somehow achieve it. I think that in this current culture, we are all fighting to be special 
because if we're special, obviously we are, you know, maybe more liked or we think we're going to get the things that we think we want. We feel safer in the relationships that we have. And I think we are suffering from a chronic lack of feeling special. What are your thoughts on this? And obviously you've kind of miraculously and through a lot of hard work, taking yourself off this treacherous path of trying to succeed and feeling special because you teach a very different path to tread. But how do you get off it? I'm basically following my passion in this. So if I go miles away from where the answer is to your question, <laughs> do bring me back. So there's a thing in, in sport that you find. I coach people how to do certain skills or at least coach them to to sort of enter the new space of that becoming responsible for things. If you ask someone how something feels, you'll ask them to, let's say, kick a ball and you'll say, right, I want you to tell me how that feels or or how how good it was from the feel. How good was the feeling? What they'll do is they'll kick the ball and then they'll look at it very quickly and then tell you how it feels. And you're like, no, no, I don't want what it looks like to tell you how it feels. I want you to tell me how it feels. So then they'll kick the next one. Try not to look, but look at me instead and go, it was good. You're like, <laughs> you want me to tell you what it feels like for you. People don't know feel, but that's life. That's that's the, the open door to life is what does life feel like? But we start with what does life look like? And then we derive feel from that. And that's the point is that the point of meditation and shutting your eyes and shutting out what everything looks like. So you can start to see and become more aware of, of what things feel like and, and aware of those belief systems and everything that's circulating inside is really powerful because to have the courage to go into that space is massive. Someone is kicks a ball and they look at you and say, they don't want to say it feels good because they're looking at you thinking, but I don't want to be wrong. Because the ball might have gone over there. You're like, but there is no wrong or right with feel. This is such a massive, massive space. And when you open that door, you can then start to explore how can you meet your own needs with feeling? And then when you do, you just see how effortless you can arrange the outside instead of the alternative, which is all the effort and control to make the outside a certain way so I can feel good. You meet those needs of being like, I feel good. And then suddenly it's like, geez, things are unfolding for me in an effortless, unstressed way, which does everything for health and well-being and everything. But the, to answer in terms of that feeling, a good way would be to even just ask yourself, are you even aware of how you walk? Do you walk like how you want to walk? Or is this another compulsion? But to just walk and say, well, how would I walk if I walked beyond all my compulsions right now? If I went outside and just said, I'm going to walk 20 meters, but I'm just going to find with each step what feels good as I walk. But we don't. We don't even, we're not even responsible for the way we walk, let alone how we breathe. And as you start to find out what feels good, a short walk and a certain way of breathing, certain way of moving your arms can do immense things for making you feel good. And yet when we warm up for to do a podcast or even if you warm up for a sporting event, it's all based on we need to do these drills and I need to learn these things for the podcast so that I've got those right now. I can feel good about the podcast instead of just go for a 20 meter walk, breathe, just what feels good. Ask yourself what feels good. And if, if it's starting to feel good, follow more of that. If it's not feeling good, use that as a, as a contrast towards pushing you towards what, if I'm not enjoying that, what about this? And sooner or later, you can meet those needs incredibly. And when you're in that space as well, as with the quote, 
things start coming up, excitements. When you feel good, you start feeling like impulses and urges to go and do stuff. I might go and just listen to a bit of music. It's just come up in me. I want to dance. I want to phone that person I haven't spoken to for ages. And then suddenly you, when you do, you're kind of like, oh, it's amazing you rang me because of this. But we're so busy in that not feeling good space and the survival mm. mode that you never have those connective moments, I don't think. Yeah, and I think actually you did answer my question. Eventually. How do we remove or kind of lessen this chronic need we all have to feel special? And I think that by focusing on this idea of, well, how do we feel rather than waiting for someone else to tell us how to feel is a really delicate and nuanced point because we want feedback, right? That's great. But at the same time, we don't want to rely on feedback to instruct how we feel. We're talking about yeah. such nuance and delicacy in that. But the, the feedback is always going to be related to a goal, mm. whereas your feel and the now is a goalless space. No one can tell you where you're going wrong or right in terms of your engagement in the now. But they can certainly tell you, you know, in terms of if, I, if I'm seeing someone who's kicking a ball, I can say, look, physically, mechanically, these forces aren't aligned. Your energies aren't in alignment. And mentally, if you tell me you're thinking about this, you're like, yeah, you're out of alignment. But actually, the feeling part, as soon as you bring that feeling and explore that, it aligns. So when I feel good, I can't stop dreaming. I visualize stuff I want to happen. I can't help it. When I feel good, all I can do is picture amazing stuff happening in my life. And then physically, I start to be so efficient. Whereas when I'm in a different space of lack, all I can do is think about what I don't want. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. And physically, I'm so inefficient. So yes, there's feedback. But when you have that clarity that comes from just feeling balanced and, and good on the inside, there's an efficiency that comes with it, an intelligence to that clarity, which is beyond belief. But we don't go there because we like to have like, okay, well, I don't have that feeling. So I need to learn everything on like a script. So physically, how do I do this? Tell me. So how do I breathe? You're like, you know this. If you deeply, deeply relax, this will come through. But I think we're always asking, like I said, those people that are looking at me thinking, saying, how did that feel? That's our responsibility. But there's so much, there's always an answer to that. There's so much to do in life. Gosh, you know, there's so many things I need to get done first. Once I've done this, then I'll do that, what you're talking about. But that to-do list, you're never at the end of it. You never get to the end of challenge. You never get to the end of difficult moments. So if you're waiting for that moment before you really get stuck into working into your, onto yourself, you'll probably end up in that space that I was heading, which is you suddenly realize you're never going to do that. So you start talking about, well, I'll be happy once I've left my legacy, basically once I've died. And that's where it catches you. I totally agree with you. When you're, when you're feeling good, your brain just opens up. You have this complete ability to access expansive thought. But personally speaking, if I haven't slept, it actually goes down to really basic things that I can't, yeah. I think sometimes meditation is like step 10. When mm. we're actually, if we go really back to step one, a good night's sleep is like, you can't do any Absolutely. of this stuff. So to go back to real basics, mm. what are these concrete, non-negotiable, foundational things that you input into your life in order for you to even get to this place where you can visualize great things happening you can actually have the time to meditate yeah so undoubtedly on a physical level 
I actually went to see an osteopath recently, a very, very good one, who was talking about how everything that we're going through is kind of rooted in the body somewhere. And so the body is a huge sort of access point for all of this. And there's no doubt that when we look after ourselves, that self-care, we're already doing that space. But in order to really want to do that, you're already moving towards this space mentally. If you start, so I think it's kind of almost works in hand in hand, mm. but yes, no doubt about it. Sleep and fatigue, my gosh, it's huge. It's ridiculous how you can be so much is going on and you can think it's this and your mind is saying it must be this. It could be this. It could be this. You get a good night's sleep and it's all evaporates. It's <laughs> phenomenal. It's, it's mad. And yet we can always justify a reason to not sleep, mm. but sleep is huge. And, and of course the obvious ones are going to follow what you eat then you're going to move into what you do with your body. Yeah, you you leave anything, like, for example, the greatest source of life that you triggers anything is water. You leave it stagnant. You see what happens to stagnant water. So you imagine all this in you. You leave it stagnant doing nothing. It's going to start becoming toxic. So the movement you do, the exercise, the and then, of course, there's the breathing. How you breathe, you know, the oxygenation of your system. I was speaking to someone recently who was talking about just the sheer, you get most of your energy from breathing. A huge force of hydration, what you eat, breathing, how you move and how and, and the sleep and restfulness. But then there's the bigger part of all of this is that, yes, get them, but how do you get them? So when you're eating, there's no point cramming a load of immense organic, you know, straight from the earth food into your mouth as you're sprinting you know, to go and please someone. So how do you eat? And then there's the movement side of things. How do you move? Breathing, how do you breathe? And then there's the sleep. Amazing, how do you prepare to sleep? So you mentioned about the meditation one. Meditation and sleep are not too dissimilar, apart from the conscious element of being around for the meditation, where sleep you kind of go. But just that 10, 15 minutes before you sleep, for me, what I find so powerful is to sit and just enjoy that solitude. And then when you feel yourself going, I'm ready to sleep, you set the scene for your sleep. Quite a few of us go to bed, winding our problems round and round and round, and then lie there going, just sleep. So you go to bed and sleep on the back of this momentum of anxiety. And sure enough, you wake up in the morning and you're kind of like, oh, I've got a bit of a break, but then I'm off again. Mm. Versus setting the scene for that. But then you could argue, well, why not set the scene for everything you do? So how would you prepare to exercise? Well, I just relax and feel present and start to get a little bit excited about it. Yeah, okay. So then you look, that's the whole day now is that. So how do you prepare to work? Well, just relax, get loose, just feel good. So in a way, all of these things are the same because if you're doing these things when you're not prepared to relax into your life, mm. they're not going to make those changes. But sure enough, you, you're dead right when you say it, that as a fundamental, the first thing you can do, whether you're feeling not good at all, is to make those kind of choices around food, around exercise, around people that you spend time with. You know, are these people that are inspiring you to, you know, are they compassionate and comforting of you? Are they inspiring you to move into the unknown? Are they supportive? You know, that's another big one as well, the company you keep. But there's so much power in there, but how you go about them matters because after a while you'll reach a limit if you're just doing them because it's another strategy that this plus this will equal this it's like well no the secret underneath it is that the like you mentioned the opening of the mind 
and at least becoming curious and rather than just thinking, I'm going to eat this to actually be like, but that thing you're eating, do you know what it is? It's the most immense source of life on your plate. That person you're speaking to, do you know anything about that person? The immense life that is that person. And when you're walking, do you know anything about your own body? The immense life that's your own body. But when we're just seeing those things as essentially kind of dead earth and and whatever, that's a different journey, I think. How do you handle disappointment? Because even with this incredible perspective on life that feels like it has been the most incredible journey that you've been on, I'm sure some things still don't go according to plan. How do you manage that all now? So I, I'm one thing that I guess has become clear to me is that I'm not going to outrun challenge. It's never going to happen. I understand that. And nor do I want it to. The same guy I spoke, I mentioned at the start with the quote through his understand, his experience of enlightenment says that 99.9% of people that when they reach that ultimate enlightened state will leave their bodies. So you don't want to outrun challenge, <laughs> <laughs> not unless you're really done with this. Yeah. You want challenge around. You want something that anchors you here. But each challenge points to where your next opportunity is. Mm. On the outside, yes, but more importantly, on the inside. And that question is, ah, the disappointment, the anger, the frustration, the feelings of low self-worth or whatever, they're a reaction. The reaction coming from a fixed idea or belief. Now, the reaction points you to the fixed idea or belief, which is a huge arrow saying, if you're interested in more of life, look. But what I used to do was look where the other arrow was going, was look who bloody done this to me. Look whose fault this is. Look who this is and blame. But the other arrow is saying, this is a process of evolution that's taking place that's opening you up to being all you can be. But if you're going to miss that on the basis that I have these ideas that tell me this is who I should be, now that's an interesting decision to make. Now, the thing for me was that people might say, yeah, but if you, it's not giving in. What it says is you can be more effective and efficient, more effortless. You can channel more of your genius or you can do it the hard way, the grafter way. You can fight and uphold everything and it can, it can become so tiring. Or you can look at this arrow that says, release this and connect clearer to your intentions and become more creative so that what you intend can just appear for you rather than you shutting yourself off from your intentions, which then makes it a kind of, I have to go out there and move a thousand people in different directions. I have to move a thousand things in different directions just to get what I want. But that arrow on any reaction is pointing. The question, you know, like I said, is how long are you going to react for before you recognize the opportunity of saying, geez, I'm asking for this. The reason I'm in this space and I have this desire to achieve this, whether it be to bring awareness to people of certain things, I'm asking for this. It seems bizarre to say, look, I want to know how I can do this brilliantly. And life says there, there's the arrow here in you. And you go, no, 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 no. I want to know the, the world's going, I'm showing you. I didn't see that before. My question now is how quickly and how clearly can that disappointment how can I recognize that internal arrow? Because the reaction is always outwards, but there's no doubt the beauty of that evolutionary process is to say, this is what I really feel right now. And what's around me is saying, I shall help you. 
disappointment is helping. It's definitely not hurting. Sometimes the biggest hurt can be getting too much of what you want too easily. Mm. And then suddenly you find yourself like we used to with guys that played sport when they were 14 or 15 and were so much bigger than everyone else. You just move forward five years and you see those people that were constantly feeling that challenge and now accelerating. It's a beautiful thing. And I don't want to outrun mine because I want to be around here for a long time, but I also want to continue to explore and experience growth and evolution. And the more that I listen to it, the more that I think I become radically different to who I've been in my life. And as I become more radically different, I get to experience more of life. If I remain quite similar, I will experience the same similar circle of life. But to be able to be moved and to shift in greater ways shifts you into greater experiences of life, I think. I spoke about this actually with a poet, but I'm really fascinated to know what your thoughts are about the fear of change. Because what you just mentioned then is the hungrier we are for change, more of the world that we can experience and how incredible is that. But I would say that that is very much not universally felt. On the whole, we like to stick to what we know. And I know that you've spoken about this on your podcast So what are your thoughts on facing change, maybe even creating change in your own life, even when there's every cell in your body that's telling you not to do it? Why would you change it? It's good enough. It's good enough for me. The point in this is that we are also responsible for our own survival. Mm. So we need to make a living. We need to look after our families and look Mm. after ourselves. We need to have shelter and know where your next meal is coming from and navigate your way through those big necessities in life. So decisions need to also be sort of funded by that direction. They saw someone recently was talking about saying that they spent a whole year just following their, you know, tuning into their deepest impulse, insights and desires and intuitive desire and just going with it. You know, a bit like the whole yes idea, you know, I'm just yeah. going to say yes to everything. And, and sure, it opens up into this phenomenal journey. But if you haven't got enough money, how do you do yeah. that? Yeah. So there are decisions where you say, well, change you have to either be in a space where you're following a severe passion or purpose and something keeps appearing that says no now you have to be intuitive enough to be like well hold on is this a decision for me to dig deeper and step beyond or is this for me to listen and learn from the other part but sometimes in survival mode where you're kind of in a position you say well i can't change this the way it is so i have to change there's that change as well in order to maintain that survival idea but either way the difficult part of it is is that say for example for me when i was younger i had this idea about what success was mm. and i had this idea and it was like i said it was perfection it was being the best at everything it was being adored it was being the savior of every team i played in it was being i needed to be needed so much i didn't have that in me to understand what, that it was just okay anyway So I had to go and get it. At some point, there comes a time when, you know, and you you want to do everything, but things come along and there's that passion and purpose to continue in the direction of what you're doing. But change comes along and points you to say, right, your your definitions need changing. Yeah. Your definitions need changing. You don't have to give up this energy, but you realize that this is a waste of your talent. It's a waste of your gift. And so in a way, what changed for me was just simply definitions about what success meant it comes a time when you hit 30 when you're playing sport or 30 ish and suddenly you can't do the things you have to do now if you say sod it i refuse to give up i will keep going you end up a year or so down the line you've, you're done 
But if you adapt and you find a different voice for this thing in you, suddenly you realize that it's so powerful. You are so powerful that you will make anything out of anything. The other part of this, I guess, is I was saying, I know what my potential is. Mm. It's such a dangerous space because this voice that's coming from me is just all the stuff I've been through already. Now, if I think that what I've been through already knows what I'm capable of, I'm screwed. If I'm going to think what I'm capable of has to be associated with what I've been through already, I'm done. That's such a limited view to say, okay, well, I've done this. And so according to that, I'm probably capable of just that. It's important to set little goals and achieve them. But underneath the potential of who we are has nothing to do with our physical limits. And that's where change, I think, is massive, is that tuning into that capacity for us to be creative, to experience life in the most amazing ways, or what have you, there has to be this ridiculous surrender to the unknown. Mm. There has to be this absolute comfort we're saying, because evolution, if you control your evolution, it's not evolution. If you choose how you grow, it's not growth. It's dangerous because you know for sure that if, if someone said, right, you've got control of the earth, go sort it out. After a short while, you're like, you're just looking after yourself. That's what we'd all do. So it's great that life comes in and pushes and gets us to surrender, gets us to look at the unknown and say, I'm going there. Because when we become who we're supposed to be, it's probably not going to be completely in the same space of who we always wanted to be. Right. But it's going to be so much more. It can only be so much more because there's this massive intelligence driving you towards who you're supposed to be. And there's a tiny little intelligence that's trying to tell you who you should be. Now, if you follow that tiny intelligence, it seems like a just a bit of a waste. But there's an importance for that small intelligence that knows how much something costs at the shops, how the housing market's moving. When's the right time to sell a house? If you've got asked, how would you buy? How do you rent the house? How do you look after your family? Oh my gosh, that's important. But when it becomes to the potential to really experience life, the unknown is where, where it's all at, I think. What continues to scare you now? What continues to be this, the unknown? Because I imagine that unknown scary space probably has shrunk because you have built up this tremendous amount of resilience and curiosity and kind of bravery in this exploration. It's always the same. It's a bit like, you know, in in sport, you get like a, a massive hit on part of your body. And so the physio says, where does it hurt? You're like, here, like everywhere. <laughs> and then two days later, you're like starting to hurt here. And then a few days after that, you're like, that's where it is there. Mm. And that's kind of what's happening. I think the fear has been in everything. And then as the journey, the fear is kind of intensifying the smaller area. And then it's starting to just appear in really deep pockets. And they're always the ones where I won't let go because I have a belief which is stuck deeper for whatever reason, because probably for me, it was embedded under conditions where I felt most vulnerable, susceptible. You know, and this is why they talk about the childhood stuff, you know, when you're in those very susceptible formative years and it goes in yeah. deep. It's also, I think, where you have the white coat syndrome. You know, when people are so open, you're looking at someone with importance and a comment's made and you are so open because yeah. you're so in need that that information is very, it's important that it's not overly 
unnecessarily conclusive because it goes in so deep and it can be self-fulfilling because it's and it's harder to reach now i'm getting to the points where i'm talking about things like you know what do i know about death for example Mm. what do i actually know about it nothing but in our culture it's this terrible thing now you know that you can definitely have that as i'm experiencing this fear around you know family and these things it's massive it's huge but it's still built upon a belief nobody knows anything about it and yet we choose to believe something and then we suffer that belief but it's an intensified area the same for me that goes in probably certain other areas in myself where there is still that intensified area of not feeling enough where i feel threatened and it shows me just where i am most vulnerable about myself you know what do i really feel about myself if i was going to be honest and that will show you where that kind of intensified area is reducing down into that very specific point to be able to openly say yeah i probably think i'm insufficient in these areas i don't compare well i feel like there's the possibility for all kinds of things like in rugby there's this massive one for me it was always around humiliation humiliation is almost like the death of the image Mm. whereas death is the death of everything whereas humiliation is the death of the image i couldn't imagine being humiliated yeah and, and sometimes in rugby things would happen you'd be like i feel that that's humiliating it would take me months and months years almost mm. to get over that but the biggest point for me in terms of i guess going beyond that stuff i could say to you now there's always an urge for me after this podcast to walk away and go how did that go? That will come up briefly in me because I know there's still part of me that thinks I want people to like what I'm saying. Did I do okay? And I'm back to that feel perspective where I asked the player and the player says, yeah, did it feel, I'm now doing it myself. This is my challenge is to say, yeah, the vulnerability of feeling that, how did it go? And be like, yeah, yeah, you'll never know. But what do I do with that? Do I say, can you send me the video? Can you send me the recording so I can listen to it? And maybe I'll send you like a hundred messages saying, can you take that out? Move that. Don't do that. But I haven't, I haven't done that for years because mm. I sit there and go, oh, enjoy it. Go on, sit in that feeling. I want to live this next moment so fully that I have to give this up. And now I'm like, well, now I just have to go for it. And you know what? If we did this chat again, it'd be so different, but I don't care. It's supposed to be this way. I've always been this way. Whatever I've done is always how it's been meant to be. And once I have that acceptance, which is what I'm lacking in those areas you're talking about, I find that acceptance and go, so what? It's not going to define me. I'll define it because if I'm enjoying myself with my family after this, it defines this as being an awesome thing. If I'm there thinking, oh God, how did it go? I'm having a terrible time with my family and it defines this as being an awful thing. It's like, well, I'm going to make a different choice. My last question is around kind of spirituality, because I think, you know, the way you speak, you know, I do get this profound sense of spirituality and this understanding of, you know, a divine intelligence of some description. And obviously, you haven't really said anything. It's the feeling I've got. How would you define your spirituality? And I guess this also kind of leads into this idea of what happens after death in some ways. From the same person, if I was going to use another quote that was relevant right now in my life and like i said tomorrow morning it might not be so relevant might be a different one but right now one thing that certainly resonates is that whether you believe or disbelieve something it doesn't bring you any closer to the truth Mm. spirituality is the truth now a belief 
any belief is designed to get you somewhere. And that somewhere is happier or less unhappy, depending on where you're coming at it from. What you're after is the truth, but beliefs do an incredibly convincing job of keeping you out of the truth, mm. keeping you looking for something a bit happier. And the spirituality is, for me, is that ultimate surrender to be so deeply interested in something that you don't get lost again in those beliefs. And the checkpoint is always, is this coming from a space of look at me or what about me or what do I get? Or I'm going to find my my now, my best moments coming, all of that stuff, you know, the look at me stuff. The checkpoint is like, is this becoming another look at me thing? Mm. Because you've done this. You've been there. Yeah. Been there where the whole, I had my picture on the front pages of almost every newspaper in the world. I've been there. I've had everyone looking at me. I've had everyone saying everything I could possibly want them to say about me. Didn't matter a thing. And the what about me space where you're feeling like, why does it never work out for me? And what will I get from this? It's the same journey, just the other way around. Those checkpoints, the spirituality is just the willingness, I think, to drop beyond that. And the, and a lot of people talk about spirituality, I think, as being the non-physical realm almost, mm. or entering in beyond the body and the mind. Because all the physical realm, if you think about it, it's like growth physically is to get bigger. So you add more stuff, you know, like, well, growth, therefore, is a bigger house. It's more cars. It's a bigger car, faster car. It's more money in the bank. It's physical, physical. But what does growth mean outside of that? It just means letting go. When you let go, you expand. Those kind of journeys there, along with this idea that I I have to give up every idea of what I think spirituality is, of where I think it is. Because to use a silly story that came up in my head once was, if someone said to you, look, can you go into that room and find me your potential, please? The best answer you could come out with is like, I haven't got a clue what I'm looking for. You'd be like, no, <laughs> you're on track. The worst thing is someone comes out and goes, I got it. You're sort of like, no, but this is it. You know, like what if someone said to you, go in there and go find your best life, whatever you came back with, it wouldn't even be close. Go in there and find. And yet we've all got this idea of, yeah, but if I've got this and this and this and this and this, yes, that's it. So you go, go get it then. It isn't it, is it? No. What you can't know what you're looking for. And that surrender in the meditation or whatever. And I find it all the time. I'm still look at me all the time. And I can feel it in the intensity when I start to speak. It's like a purposeful, yeah, this is going to get me this. Mm. And it's becoming, as all the conversations are, more and more aware of those things. Awareness, acceptance. And then, as the quote said, following your highest excitement. Be aware of what's what's in the way. Come to that place of acceptance and allowing and surrender. And then wait for that little voice that pokes up that just childlike says, here's some excitement. And then ask yourself, can I follow this? Is it safe to follow this? Survival-wise, yes, go. Just go and without any insistence upon how it turns out. Do you have a daily practice that kind of realigns you in this mindset? You've inspired us so greatly. You've shared so many things that I certainly am going to be left chewing on for days. But I'm just conscious of grounding this in something that we can come back to every single day or in those moments of hardship or difficult decision making. Where do we go? 
I think the reason that that conversation is so challenging is that physical, as they often are, practices and techniques, when given, they kind of fall straight into that trap of, if I do this, I will get this. Yeah. Which then leads you completely away from it. And that's why they're not given often, because they are actually become, like I said before, someone's, not my wisdom, but someone else's wisdom becomes information and without the wisdom itself in there it becomes part of the trap you know well listen if you sit and you just be aware but it's kind of like that then gets you sitting there thinking just another five minutes of being aware and i'm going to crush it <laughs> right, you're right, like, right you're not there right, right. And it's even the same with the idea of saying well just sit in your feelings and feel them it's a big one you know when you're going through these tough feelings it's just to sit and be aware of your feelings. But if you're sitting being aware of your feelings, thinking, if I do this, they'll go, you're not being aware of them. So it's really tough to prescribe that. But ultimately, the practice I would talk about is there is no movement possible until there is awareness. And awareness comes back to that feel thing. And the feel part of it is almost, I heard someone else I was communicating with said, if you ever want to find out why you keep doing something, the best thing to do is just stop doing it for a while. And it's really interesting. Now, what that's related to in me is to look after the tempo of your life. And as much as you can, relax into your life and find a posture that is relaxation-based, what you feel is relaxed. Find a pace of movement that on that day feels like this is slow. This is how I want to be. And then say, this is how I'm living. Just become aware of when you are pulled out of it. And when you're pulled out of it, ask yourself, can I come back to it? And what this is ultimately doing is doing all the work for you to saying, this is how I want to live my life in this relaxed state and I'm going to do it. But you'll find, and then awareness wise to be sort of, and that can include breathing if you can go that far. So the how you move is a good one, how you sit. So a good one is just even your shoulders. Oh, they're up, drop them down. You know, to have that, especially when you're walking. Am I walking quick? Am I walking like I want to walk? Or have I gone into that robotic march, 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 march thing to be like, stop. This is my life. I'll live it my way. This is how I'm going to walk. This is how I'm going to move my arms. I'm going to swing them because it feels good and it feels awesome. And I don't care that people are staring at me thinking that person is moving so slowly and swinging their arms so weirdly, but you're like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy that. This is how I want to be. If you can add breathing to that, even more awesome. And then start to feel what that feels like and then see how much you can live your life in that space when you're conversing with other people. And when you do, and when you meet other people, and when you have to do jobs, so then you're sort of like in the house thinking, I've got to do these things and I haven't got much time. It's like, here's the big challenge. Do you have the awareness to do them your way? Because we can't all do what we want to do in our own lives, but whatever we have to do, if we do it our way, it becomes ours. Mm. We get our lives back. And I think that's the main point for me is to say, right, okay, find you, find how you want to move, find how you want to breathe, find your facial expression. Why am I always like this? Relax. What does it feel like to relax? And as I'm talking to someone, I start noticing, oh my God, I'm speaking like this. Why am I doing this? And then it will become clear. I don't have to. And suddenly you can then start making choices about what you do with your energy and what you do with your attention, where you place it. You get your health and well-being back, but the awareness part is key because what you'll find is the first two minutes of the morning, you'll do it. And for the rest of the day, you don't even think about it. 
And that's fine. As long as at some point you go, oh my God, what have I been doing? Come back, go again. But sooner or later, when you start to live large parts of your day in this thing, you're all you're overcoming old emotions that are saying it's not okay to be you. Mm-hmm. You're saying, yes, it is. I'll be me. And then you find that you have an effortless way of making stuff happen and also maybe have a better connection with excitement in your life, which isn't available when you're rushing around the house thinking, if I don't do this, the whole world's going to fall down. There's no chance of feeling any excitement. But when you're moving slowly and you're clear, you start to actually find out there's so much calling you, I think, on the inside. But, you know, I, I just to add in this that I can spend so much of my day not doing this. It doesn't matter. The fact is, is that I'm willing enough to keep saying I can do more and starting right now. And the beauty is that you have a podcast. My favorite parts of your podcast are actually the ones where you're not interviewing your guests. Right. You give these kind of like 20 minute reflections. Right. And okay. it is almost like a meditation because Johnny will reflect on a concept and he'll kind of reflect on it for about 19, 20 minutes or so. And I would say to add on to this, to kind of like root this in with in an action, if anybody's feeling inspired, because I think sometimes this information, I certainly feel anyway, once I've been inspired, it's almost like building a sandcastle. I kind of like to pat it down a bit and I will put a link to that in the show notes. And in the last minute, I would love to invite you to finish the sentence I began, if that's okay. Mm. The world is. Yours. Happiness is. Conscious freedom. The book I recommend the most is? Whatever calls you. Whatever calls to you the most. The piece of wisdom I would share with my younger self would be? You're beautiful. I unwind by? Living. Thank you so much. This has been (laughs) such a wonderful interview. I've enjoyed it so much. Really have. Thank you so much for your time. No, absolute pleasure. And thanks for uh, structuring it and navigating it in such a way and letting me go all over the place with it as well thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed today please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much i'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so my mental health book happy not perfect is available to order now the book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker a skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way, helps you manage emotions, and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself. Until next time, I love hearing from you, so do shoot me a message on Instagram, send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.